And we're uh, in our foundations class this morning, continuing our discussion of marriage. So last week, Micah talked about the theology of marriage, what is marriage, and the main idea last week was that marriage is a lifelong covenant between one man and one woman, defined and enacted by God, that is designed to bear fruit and showcase God's special, intimate love toward his people. So that was the definition of marriage. Today we're going to focus more on the why of marriage, sort of what's the mission of marriage, and we will get into a lot of verses. If you were here last week, you'll hear a number of the same verses, but hopefully with a little bit of a different focus today of what is God doing in marriage and through marriage and what, it, what's, what it's depicting. So our main idea today there at the top of your handout is that marriage is a gift that glorifies God, edifies the married couple, and furthers the Great Commission. So I wanted to make a real quick plug of a great book. If maybe some of you have read it or if you haven't, I'm reading through it. It's by John Piper called This Momentary Marriage. Um, John does a great job in this book of talking about how earthly marriage is temporary and it's a picture of the reality of the spiritual marriage that Christ has with his bride, the church, that goes on for eternity. So whether you're single here or you're married, a lot of great things in that book. I'd, I'd recommend it. And it was helpful even for this lesson. So with that, why don't we uh, start off. If um, Brother Dan, would you mind just praying and asking that the Lord would guide our time this morning? Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that you've given us uh, life again today to Mm -hmm. know you, to walk with you, uh, to learn more of you. Thank you for the opportunity to gather together. Amen. Thank you, brother. All right. So uh, if you have your Bibles, quickly turn over to Genesis chapter 2. And again, this is the foundational text of marriage in the scriptures. And we're just going to use it as a launching point. Um, As I said, there's a little bit of of kind of recap from last week, but focus more on the purpose. So if you go to Genesis chapter 2, and let's look at verses 18 to 24. And while we're turning there, if somebody else could also look up Psalm 24, 1. Just put your finger in Psalm 24, 1, and then somebody else, Psalm 25, verse 4, because we're going to go to those. So, All right, so Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, we read, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And then in the next couple of verses, um, we see how God brings the animals, the birds, and the uh, creatures before Adam. He names them but there's no helper fit for him. Now jump down to verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So we see here that God is the one who initiated marriage. He founded it in the garden. He uh, made a helper fit for Adam. This woman 
And we see in that very act that marriage by definition involves a man and a woman. The very first marriage, God brought a helper fit for Adam to him. And John Piper notes that in this first wedding ceremony, as God brings uh, Eve to Adam, that he's like the father of the bride. He's the first one walking her down the aisle and giving her to her husband. So in marriage, God unites a husband and a wife. And then we read something that Jesus adds to this definition to give more clarity in, in the Gospels. In Matthew uh, 19, just listen, uh, verses 4 to 6. So the Pharisees were asking Jesus a question about divorce, and is it okay for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? And listen to what he says. He says, he, he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So he quotes Genesis 2.24, that definition of marriage. And then he says, So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So we see in this covenant that we talked about last week that, that in the marriage covenant, it's to picture something greater. And so we're going to talk a little bit more why it's so important that Jesus says, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Well, the world may think that they can define marriage. We have a lot of definitions of marriage in the world. But the origin of marriage is not from the state. It doesn't come from a particular country or a particular tradition. But as we see here, it's defined and given by God. And it's an institution that he defines, he gives, and his word is govern, governs how we should view it and what its purpose is. So we see three things here initially. Because marriage is from God, he's the one who gave it, we are to treat it with honor, to steward it as a gift, and then look to him in his word to understand it and what, what its meaning is. So listen to Hebrews 13:4. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. So marriage is to be honored by everyone. God gives the marriage bed to a husband and a wife to enjoy, and its purity is to be fiercely guarded. So that's this exclusivity of the one flesh union between a man and a woman, it's not to be violated, and it will incur God's, God's judgment if it is. And we're going to see again, as we look to the purpose of marriage in Ephesians 5, why that's so important to what God is doing through marriage. So we treat it with honor, we see, and then steward it as a gift. If somebody put their finger on Psalm 24.1, could you read that out loud, Psalm 24.1? Amen. So that verse tells us that everything belongs to God. So oftentimes we might think of that verse in relationship to the mountains, the stars, the seas, our money, you know, our stuff, which is all true. However, we see here that it's, it's those things, but it also includes the institution of marriage. So marriage exists uh, <clears throat> uh, for God. He owns it. And so we're to steward as, as a gift. Um, <clears throat> I remember when I was single, there's a, a verse I memorized, uh, Proverbs 19.4, that says, House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. So God owns marriage, he owns everything, and so it's all his doing. He brings about. So we're to be stewards of everything God gives us. 
whether you're single or whether you're married. Everything about us belongs to the Lord. And so when you think about uh, Paul, what he says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So marriage is a stewardship. Everything that we have is a stewardship of God's gift. So thirdly, we also see here is that we are to look to God to understand marriage. Uh, if somebody has uh, Psalm 25, 4, that other uh, psalm. Amen. So the psalmist cries out, Lord, I need you to teach me your ways. I need you to understand, to help me understand your ways. And certainly when it comes to marriage, we need the Lord's wisdom to understand uh, what he's doing. So the purpose of marriage, unlike what many people in the world might think, is not ultimately to fulfill a felt need for companionship or for emotional and physical intimacy or feeling love. Now, praise God, those are wonderful things that he gives in marriage to a husband and a wife, but that's not ultimately what marriage is about. Marriage is about God. So our completeness is found, as Mark Butman talked a couple weeks ago on single, singleness, our completeness is, is in Christ. So whether you're single or married, we are complete in Christ. And so marriage is something, there's something that God's doing in marriage uh, to glorify himself. So those are three th quick things that we see because it's from God. We treat it with honor, steward it as a gift, and look to him to understand it. So marriage is from God, but it also is for God. So if I could get a couple people to look up some passages. Colossians 1, 15 and 16. If somebody could look that up, please. And then Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. And then 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So if somebody has Colossians 1, 15 and 16, if you wouldn't mind reading that. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Amen. Amen. So we see in this passage of, of Christ that all things were created through him and for him, and that, as we mentioned, include, includes marriage. So certainly in, in the gift of marriage, a man and a woman are blessed, but ultimately God is getting the glory, and this is about bringing him, him, him pleasure. So that's why when we have a, a, a wedding here at, at Delray Baptist Church, it's a worship service. It's, a, it's an opportunity for us to worship God for this glorious gift, obviously that the couple's enjoying, but, but, but there's a greater purpose to it, and it's about, it's about what God is doing. Um, without that perspective of marriage, that it's for God and it's given by God, the majesty of what God's showing in marriage quickly falls away. So I'm just thinking again in the world around us, um, you just look at marriage in the world apart from this perspective and it loses its purpose if the couple falls out of love, 
if they're just like, you know, it's just not working anymore. 25 years, the richest man in the world, Jeff Bezos, and his wife of 25 years just recently just said, you know, it's just time to go our own ways. Um, so money can't create marriage. Money can't make love. And fundamentally, we see here that it's not <clears throat> about uh, what, what the couple feels or thinks about, but it's about what God is doing. So the whole point of marriage, as we said earlier, is that it's about picturing Christ's covenant with his bride, the church. So Piper says in his book um, that the purpose then of marriage is not ultimately about staying in love, it's about keeping covenant. So the picture of marriage is about keeping covenant because Christ keeps his covenant with his bride, the church. And so that's what we're going to focus on as we think about looking at, at marriage and its purpose. So the next thing on your handout there, if you look under B1, uh, marriage exists for God's purpose. So if somebody has Ephesians 5, 31 and 32, if they could read that out loud. Amen. Amen. So there we have it. As I mentioned, he, uh, Genesis 2.24 is the foundational definition of marriage. Jesus adds that line about what God has joined together, let not man put apart in Matthew related to divorce, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. And then finally here, Paul says, but you know what this is really about? This is really about Jesus and the church. This is about, that's what marriage points to. So every marriage from the first marriage in the garden to your marriage if you're married or Lord willing some of you here who will be married at some point the purpose of the marriage is to be a reference a pointing sign putting on display how Jesus loves his bride the church so in each marriage the man is to be as Christ it says uh, to play the role of, of, of Christ sacrificially loving his wife and the wife to play the role of the church submitting graciously to her husband and together, they serve the purpose of displaying this gospel love of Christ and his, and his bride. So this is why, I think, as we think about this purpose of marriage, why God hates infidelity and divorce. So going back to what Jesus said about not separating a man and a woman, why would you think that Jesus would make that statement that what God has joined together let not man put apart in light of what we've just said marriage is supposed to picture. Any thoughts? Amen. It's, thank you, Jose. Exactly true. Because Infidelity and divorce shatters the picture of what the church is, what marriage is supposed to image. It's unthinkable that Jesus, who has absolute faithfulness in his covenant that he made with his people in the church, would ever divorce her, would ever leave her. He is the perfect husband. And because marriage depicts that gospel, we know that the devil wants to destroy marriages. So Peter talks about be on guard. The enemy prowls around like a roaring lion. And certainly in the area of marriage is an area that he would wants to destroy that picture of the gospel. So as we think about marriage, if you are married or know somebody who is, 
pray for one another, pray for our marriages, pray for the marriages uh, in our church, that God would be gracious and help us to picture the gospel. So another question, as we think about the truth that marriage is designed to pick, depict the gospel, Christ's love for his church, if husbands are supposed to be as Christ, laying down his life, loving his bride, and wives are to submit to their husbands, how should that affect how we think about daily interactions between a husband and a wife? Just some thoughts of how that should influence just the everyday activity between a husband and a wife. Good, good thoughts, brother. Yeah. Um, any other comments? Well, so thinking back on what you said, Christ is preparing his bride for himself mm-hmm. and making her ready to watch him through the word. Mm-hmm. So one of those daily activities that you refer to would be spend the time in the word. Amen. Amen. Good. Amen. This is all ex- excellent things that that God has designed in this picture of how we're, how we're to live. Um, I was thinking, too, of, of, of my wife in, in, in our marriage, too, of thinking of, of gospel love. So did Jesus, like, wait for his bride to be all looking good and have her stuff together before he loved her? No, no. We, we read in Romans... Romans uh, that, that while we were yet sinners, Christ laid down his life for us. So before we were lovable, before we were ready to be, could do anything, Christ loved his bride. And I think, as I was thinking about um, in a marriage, when both the husband and the wife see that this is about God's covenant with his bride, which will never be broken, and that there's great freedom that this is not ultimately about how I feel or kind of how you look or how, you know, or how I'm doing certain things, but it's about the commitment that we've made before God that we're going to picture Christ's grace and love and what joy that gives. That I was thinking too, you know, um, sometimes I would say, I'd say to my wife, you know, thanks for marrying me, and she'd say, thanks for asking, or I'll say, thank, th- thanks for loving me, and I remember she said something like this. Initially, at first, it caught me off guard, but then I was like, praise God. She's like, don't have an option, you know? Don't have a choice. It's like, it's like that's not even a, I'm not going to love you because you look good today or because you treated me a certain way. 
this is covenant, this is commitment, you know? So it was just kind of a funny response. Initially, I was like, okay. But then it was with a smile. I'm like, praise God. So our lo- Jesus doesn't love us just because, like, oh, we've done everything good today. No, he loves us unconditionally. He laid down his life for us. And that's how a husband should love his wife. And a wife should be like, you know? Now, that said, we know no husband is Jesus. And, <laughs> and we live in a fallen world. So just some of the things that Joshua mentioned, um, as you think about this, I just had written these down. Think about this as the ideal. Husbands or aspiring husbands, consider that Christ never mistreats his bride, never speaks sarcastically to her or belittles her, never speaks harshly, never holds a grudge, never complains that he has to serve her, never seeks his own comfort above hers, never withholds forgiveness from her when she repents, never contemplates leaving or divorcing her, never has eyes for or allows his affections to wander to another woman. Christ always nourishes his bride, cares for her, builds her up, gently corrects her in love, serves her sacrificially with joy, bears with her, honors her, cleanses her with the word, prays for her, interceding before the Father, and lays down his life for her. Wow, that's a high, high model. Wives, or those who may be wives in the future, consider the church loves and joyfully submits to Christ, seeking to follow his lead and bless him. The church doesn't grumble or speak evil about him, doesn't cultivate affections for another man, doesn't try to usurp his authority or take his role as the head of the marriage, respects and honors him, delights to serve him. And we see even in 1 Peter that even a woman who honors her husband who's not a believer is, is blessed in those ways. So that's the model. But brothers and sisters, we know there's no way we can live up to that or we do live up to that. But by his grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, that's what we strive uh, to live in. As, and, and by God's grace, the world would see in our marriages. But I think just seeing how radically different that is from what marriage in the world is looked at to what covenant commitment that we see in Christ and his bride. All right, so let's uh, continue on here now. Um, Three sort of areas there on your handout. We said it exists for God's purpose. Now let's talk about it exists for God's praise or his glory. Can somebody somebody have 1 Corinthians 10.31? Could you read that? Amen. Well, that includes marriage, as we've said. So... We live, whether you think about marriage, whether you abstain from marriage, whether you pursue, pursue marriage, plan for it, or you get married or stay married, we do it all for the glory of God. Um, so we hear about the glory of God or to glorify God. Who can just, let's just hear your, somebody define, what, is it, what does it mean to glorify God? Or what does it mean when we say we do all things for the glory of God? Amen. Amen. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Any other thoughts? It means to glorify God. Yeah. I mean, our sister Sarah just pretty much nailed it. So we don't don't have to ask for anybody else. I just wanted to offer, but you hit it on the head. So glorify, if you look in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word used many times for glory or glorify 
is a word that can also mean uh, weighty or heavy. And there's this, this, this picture that our lives, our marriages, are to, to show forth the weightiness, the grandeur, the heaviness of who God is. It's not cheap, it's not light, it's not something you throw away just when you're bored or you can't, you know, you just don't want to be married anymore. No, this is representing and glorifying God. So we want to get married, stay married in such a way that puts the weighty majesty of God's display, uh, of his glory on display, so that all can see his, his wisdom, his beauty, his love, his grace in how we, by the power of the Spirit, uh, in Christ can, can love one another. Um, tying back to Hebrews 13.4 that we read earlier, um, one area that we are commanded in scriptures to glorify God is with our bodies. So whether you're single or whether you're married, we're commanded to honor and glorify God with our bodies. So Hebrews 13.4 we read earlier, it says, let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. And so this speaks to both married and unmarried, how we're to live. And so what this, why that's so important, as we'll see here in this next passage, is that in the marriage covenant, that exclusive one flesh relationship between a husband and a wife, um, in fact, the Bible talks about when a husband knows his wife, it's talking about the deepest intimate knowledge in that one flesh, one flesh physical union. So to, to know somebody in that sense is the closest knowledge uh, between, between people. And so when he says <clears throat> that one flesh relationship um, <clears throat> is pointing to the exclusive one spirit relationship that we as Christians have with Jesus. So whether you're married or single, the Bible teaches that if you're in Christ, you are one spirit with the Lord. And so listen to how, how um, Paul describes this and using this picture of marriage pointing to this one spirit relationship. So 1 Corinthians 6, 13 and following. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not, or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Amen. So just another example again of how we glorify God in, in purity and holiness and protecting that marriage union. So we've seen that marriage exists for God, God's purpose, his praise or glory, and now we'll look at how marriage exists for God's pleasure. So if somebody has uh, 2 Corinthians um, <clears throat> 5, 9, and 10, I, maybe we I actually may not have, um, I may not have assigned that, so could you? Okay, that'd be great. Second Corinthians 5, 9, and 10. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due to 
Amen. So here in the marriage arena, we see that we can actually please God, that that's the goal, Paul writes, that we, we want to please our, our Lord and Savior, and that he actually finds pleasure when we, do, when we do honor him in our marriage through service and sacrifice and <clears throat> stewardship of that good gift. God hears every word. He knows every secret. He, <clears throat> he sees every tear, and he's either pleased or displeased in, in, in our marriages. So there's two things that we should, from this verse that uh, Brother Joshua just read, that should, should, uh, we should take from that passage. It should first give us hope. Give us hope that the Lord is with us and that he is pleased with our marriages when we walk in the power of his spirit and we seek to honor him in that way. We can actually please God. And secondly, it should keep us humble because we so desperately need God to do this. We cannot uh, <clears throat> fulfill this in our own strength. And we need his mercy uh, when we fall short and ask for forgiveness. If somebody could read 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. Amen. So here, it's just an encouragement. So if in your marriage, if you feel weak, you feel like, I need help, I need grace, praise God. He is sufficient. He provides that. Um, So marriage is a place where God can be honored greatly because we need him desperately. So that's a a great, a great truth. So while marriage can uh, can please God, it also has unique challenges. So marriage is this wonderful blessing, and it points to that unity between Christ and his church, but it also brings challenges. Um, And Mark read this passage a couple weeks ago when he talked about singleness, but could somebody read 1 Corinthians 7, 32 through 35? 1 Corinthians 7, 32 to 35. That's it. Yep. Thank you. Thank you, <clears throat> Louise. Um, so here we see, yes, marriage is this wonderful gift that's depicting, as we've talked about, Christ and his bride. But there's also a reality that we live in a fallen world, and there's, um, there, there are trials. There are things in marriage that you, as a single person, would have freedom to do for the Lord that, that, that you don't have. We're going to look a little bit later about things, how God uses married couples in ways that singles probably couldn't, couldn't do those same things. Um, but the point here, I think, is that as we think about marriage, again, and what it's supposed to do and how it's supposed to reflect uh, Christ and the church, is that in our marriages, to think about those things of how is our marriage reflecting the gospel and 
the mission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. So are we free to do missions as a couple? Do we have that heart? Are we trying to avoid debt as much as possible to be able to share generously? Um, are we fighting temptations with our money and our time to be very self-focused just, just for us? So these are just some things that as we think of this passage, Paul as, was never married. Jesus was never married. So we know that marriage is not about being complete. Um, but this passage should just remind us that if we do choose marriage and we are in marriages, by God's grace, use the marriage to advance the kingdom and not fall into the trap of what the world thinks marriage is. Marriage is. Okay, so we've seen that marriage comes from God, that it exists for his glory. So with that, let me just stop here, pause for a minute. Any questions or comments before we flip the page to the back of our, our handout? Amen. Yeah, and I just want to say, too, and I was going to mention later, and we'll talk a little bit, but praise God for the way um, singles and married people at Delray Baptist Church, I mean, we as elders are encouraged to see how the Lord is, is moving in us as a church to, to live this way. Um, you know, I'm just, I just think of, you know, couples who, who just went on the mission trip recently, you know, and just, just viewing marriage not as like, oh, I can't do these things, but like, how are we going to make that happen? But there is a reality that that, 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 that uh, has to be kept at the forefront. So, amen. All right, so flipping on to the back of, of your handout if you're following along. God uses marriage to make husbands and wives more like Jesus. Um, Romans 8, 28 to 31. If somebody could turn there and, and, and read that, that passage. Romans 8, 28 to 31. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Amen. Amen. This glorious passage. God's eternal purpose for his people is to make them like Jesus. And we saw that there that Sarah read, to be conformed to the image of his son. And God's using everything in our lives to do that. And he uses our marriages, the good, the bad, the difficult, the painful, um, the hurtful, the edifying. God is shaping us, if you're in Christ, to be like Jesus. James 1, 2-4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And there, the, the hymn that we sing, um, How Firm a Foundation, I like the verse that says, uh, When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all-sufficient shall be thy supply. The flames shall not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. So in light of that verse and, 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 and those verses and that truth, um, just want to encourage us, uh, especially those of you who, who um, 
are married, and there may be some in this room who are in very difficult marriages right now and are struggling, or some of you may have been through a time, and by God's grace, you've seen him, him, him help. But just want to encourage you that God is using even those difficult times to make you more like Jesus, and that we as a church are here to help one another. Um, uh, that's, that's why God put us in a body. And so if you are struggling, if you're married and you're struggling in your marriage, please talk to somebody. Talk to another couple in the church. Talk to one of us elders. Uh, we want to help one another. We want to help one another uh, on our way to heaven and, and help marriages reflect uh, the glory of Christ in his church. So in marriage, just the reality is that he has given you somebody who there's going to be times where she's going to say things, do things that's going to reveal the sin in your own heart. He's going to say things, do things that's going to reveal the sin in your heart. And so these are things that we just need to remember in this fallen world and realize that even in those things, God's using them to make us like Jesus. And even through those hard things, he can get glory when the marriage focuses on, on Jesus and, and what, what he wants us to do in our marriages. Um, yeah, I think it's really helpful to realize that even in little things that may not even be sins, that are just irritations, God's using that to, to, to help, help us to grow in patience, to grow in, in, in kindness. So as you think through those times, when, when we're going through it, it's not always pleasant, but to remember this is about Christ. This is about his covenant commitment. And God, you're using this. You're doing something in this. Um, and please, as I said, we're here as a family in the church. And that's why we, we, we're here for each other to, to, to help. Um, so let's uh, <clears throat> look at how husbands and wives help each other to heaven. So he's conforming us in all things. And this is the, the, the main passage in Ephesians in the New Testament that talks about husbands and wives. So let's, let's read that. Ephesians 5, to 27. If somebody can read uh, that whole, those, those verses. Amen. So this, that portion speaks of, of how husbands are to, to, to love their wives. And we see that what Jesus do, does for his bride, a husband's called to do for his wife, to purify her. I think one of the brothers was sharing just how with the water and the word, that our, our goal is to make our wives, um, by God's help, to help them to become more like Jesus. And Paul writes to, in the, to the Corinthians, I feel divine jealousy for you because I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So husbands, our wives, when they stand before for the Lord, they should be more holy than if they had not married us. Obviously all by God's grace and his power. But that's the whole point, if we're to be like Christ, is that we're, try, we're seeking that, to make our wives more Christ-like and, and loving them in that way and sacrificing for them and laying down our lives for them. And wives, when your husbands stand before God, they should give praise to God that 
you were a great helper to them, to him, supporting him, helping him to be more Christ-like. He should be able to say, because of my wife, I am more like Jesus, because of how she loved me and, and showed me Christ. So I think in this thing, as we think about <clears throat> how we can help one another, um, what, a, what a picture there. In, the, in verses 22 to 24, we read, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So we just see that, that, that beautiful picture, that Lord willing, when we get to heaven, and we're not, there's no more marriage in heaven, we're all married to Jesus, um, that we will be able to just praise God for the gift of, of, of the spouse that he gave us. Um, <clears throat> so another area, we see husbands and wives show Christ-like um, service. So we're to serve one another. And specifically in this area, it talks about in, in, um, in preferring one another in, in, in physical intimacy in marriage. So Hebrews... Uh, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians 7, 3 to 5. Let me just read this, this passage. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and, like the wi- and, like, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourself to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So we see in, in this area of, of marriage, we're called to serve one another as husbands and wives. The passages in the New Testament that talk about one another's, those, all those one another passages, oftentimes we tend to kind of view of them like people at work or my neighbors, but all of those apply Primarily, firstly, to your, to your spouse if you're married. So Hebrew, uh, Ephesians 4, 25 to 32. Can somebody read that, that passage? And as, as you read it, as we listen to it, think about it in the context of a husband and a wife in uh, imaging, imaging Christ in the church. Ephesians 4, 25 to 32. So this passage just is such a rich passage. We can meditate a long time on all of those, all of those ways that we are to, to show Christ-like love to one another. And certainly that applies across the board, whether you're single, whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you're married. But as we think about how our marriages um, can be a blessing and a testimony to Christ, uh, just meditate on some of these things as, as husbands, just very practical ways of not being bitter, not having wrath, not having anger. Um, these, are, these are convicting things, and, and, but, but by God's grace, he can, 
in, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can, live this, we can live this way. And the same for wives. So just a, one of the many passages of thinking of one another's applying to the marriage context. And so the final thing that we'll see here, and we'll spend the rest of our time on, is how God uses the partnership in marriage between a husband and a wife to further the Great Commission. So this is a great, uh, a great blessing of marriage. So husbands and wives are to work together to make disciples, to learn each other's gifts. I mean, it's a blessing. I mean, Adam needed help. Men need help. That's the whole point of, of him getting a helper. And so God compliments um, a husband and a wife with different gifts. I know I've talked, you know, my wife feels like there's certain areas where she's just like, I can't do that. That's just not me. But my husband's really good at that. And then I'm, there's other areas where I'm just like, mm, that's not really. And so praise God, he puts us together to be able to do that. And so when, when, when a husband and wife live that way, what a, what a powerful uh, testimony it can be for the gospel. Um, as we heard, there can be distractions in marriage. So those who can live single and give themselves undividedly to serving to Christ, do it. Press on. Serve the Lord fully uh, in singleness. That's, that, there's, the goal, like we said, the goal of life is not to get married and have children. The goal of life is to glorify God. And praise God, he gives the gift of marriage, but he gives the gift of singleness. And singleness is a glorious way to serve the Lord, um, as, as, as we see our, our brother, the Apostle Paul, did. Um, but there, again, are great opportunities that you can do when you're married that are harder to do when you're single. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 4.9, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. Uh, a quick Old Testament example. Um, you don't have to turn there, but just listen. This is from 2 Kings 4. So here's just a picture of how a couple used their home to be a blessing to the prophet Elisha. So this is from 2 Kings chapter 4, um, uh, 8 to 11. It says, uh, One day Elisha went on to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived, who urged him to come and eat some food. Hospitality. Here's this woman. God's blessed her. She's wealthy. He says, come on in. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed and a table and a chair and a lamp so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. One day he came there and he turned into the chamber and rested there. So here's a picture just in this little passage of, of hospitality, of a, of a couple serving this, this prophet with their home and with, with uh, <clears throat> what they have. Well, in the New Testament, we see another example, a great example of, of a godly couple, Christian couple, who used their marriage to bless others and were a great blessing to Paul, a, a personal blessing to Paul. He mentions them several times. So this is <clears throat> the observation of Aquila and Priscilla. So let's uh, go to Acts chapter 18. You just open up to Acts chapter 18. And we'll walk through and look at how this couple advanced the gospel and were a huge blessing to Paul and others. So Acts chapter 18, this is Paul's second uh, missionary journey, um, <clears throat> verses 1 to 3. Can somebody just read verses 1 to 3 there? 
Yep, that's fine. No, no, that's, no, that's great. Amen. So here we see this account of uh, Priscilla and Aquila. So Paul is down in Corinth, goes down to Corinth from Athens. He does the same trade. So he obviously, he wasn't in full-time ministry. He, he had a job. Um, they, they had a job. <clears throat> they, um, their work was flexible that they, they, they were able to, to relocate. So they had been kind of forced out of Rome. But we just see this in God's providence, how, how, they, how they, as refugees, had fled this persecution and were there. And then verse 18 and 19 of chap, Acts chapter uh, 18. Can somebody read verses 18 and 19? for some time, Paul said farewell to the brothers and sisters and sailed away to Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Philip, shaved his head at, to prayer mm-hmm. because of a vow he had taken. Amen. So we get this picture that while Paul was in Corinth, he spent about a year and a half there. They were doing ministry together. I mean, they were they were part of his team serving together. And so when it's time to go off to Ephesus, he's like, I want these people to come with me. I'm taking Priscilla and Aquila because they are valuable uh, servants of the Lord. And so so they go with Paul uh, to uh, to Ephesus. They clearly are the kind of people Paul loves to have around. Um, just servant-hearted, uh, serving, serving the Lord. They make life easier for him to make the mission more possible. And so um, he leaves them there in Ephesus to continue carrying on the work. So Acts 18, 24 to 26. So now they're in Ephesus. Um, <clears throat> he's left them there. And look how God continues to use this couple. Can somebody read 18, 24 to 26? Paulus, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Mm, amen. So here they are, they're in Ephesus, this... this uh, <clears throat> Brother uh, Apollos comes, who didn't quite have all of his theology quite right, but he was a powerful preacher. And they just gently took him aside and said, hey, let's spend some time. Let's, let's open the scriptures, you know, and, and teach him the way more, more accurately of, of who Jesus was. And praise God, that testimony of what they did for, for, this, for, for Apollos paid pay dividends as then Apollos went on to, to, to minister the gospel. So they worked together as a team to help pastors and teachers be more faithful. So we see here they were theologically strong. Paul certainly trusted them. They were courageous and they were compassionate. Now in Romans 16, I can flip over there, uh, 3 to 5, we hear this when Paul, how much Paul remembers Priscilla and Aquila. So he's writing in Corinth to the Christians in Rome and Priscilla and Aquila had, had gone back to Rome. And this is what he says in Romans uh, 16, 3 to 5. 
He says, um, he's giving these greetings, and he says, Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet, all, greet my beloved Epinatus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. So here we get a, even a greater picture into the, this couple. So the, gather, the, the gathering of the saints was in their house, and he says, not only does Paul give thanks, but he says all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. So just a, a wonderful picture of how God used a faithful uh, <clears throat> couple to, to, to bless <coughs> his people, willing to risk their lives for the church. And then finally, in Paul's last letter, in 2 Timothy 4.19, he writes this. His final greetings, he says, Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Prudence and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. So in these closing words from Paul to Timothy, Prisca, uh, Priscilla and Aquila are there, his, his uh, faithful uh, servants in the Lord. So we see this faithful couple. They had an affectionate spot in Paul's heart, and they saw their marriage is something to use for the glory of God. And that they were able to use, you know, a lot of the commentators will say, well, why is her name said first? Well, she was probably, could be that she was from a more noble home or was more well-known. So that's why, so, so like the rich woman in, in Second Kings, so God uses husbands and wives in their spheres to, to be able to, to, be able to um, <clears throat> share the gospel and, and, and uh, advance his kingdom and help so many people on, on the way to heaven. And just in the last five minutes, I just wanted to share just a few examples. So in our church, we have many, many brothers and sisters who, as I said, single and married, who are, are living this way. Praise God, and may God give us all more and more passion to open our homes uh, to people. And just looking out at faces of different people, I can see people who've opened their homes to people from different cultures, um, people who have befriended people uh, that are now members of our church. I, I, I think of our sister Kelly, who became a Christian by God's grace through the, 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 the faithful witness of the Holston family, opening their home and, and, and sharing with them. Um, I think of another couple, and since we're recording this, I won't use their names, but who the wife has a gift in a language to a people group that need the gospel and is ministering to them. And she was doing that as a single woman. But in the culture environment that she was doing that, it was hard to reach out to men. Praise God, he brought her a husband who has the same heart to go to that same people group in this area, and they're serving together in a way that they, either one of them couldn't have done just, just um, alone. And so uh, praise God for, 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 for that example in our midst. Uh, some of you may remember um, Peter and Anastasia Remes, who were members here. Um, kind of remind me of Priscilla and Aquila just because they were older and their kids were, were, were grown. Um, but just how they opened their home to a Japanese young lady who uh, had heard the gospel through a single member of our church, Grace Lee, who had, who had witnessed to her. And then she brought 
Takako to the Rameses, who shared the gospel more fully. And recently, our sister Takako was, was baptized in Japan. So just to see how God does all of these things. Um, and then most recently, our brother Stan, who, who, was, uh, who was baptized uh, just a couple weeks ago, just to hear the story of how God used Dee and Antonio, a couple here who had been members here, who have opened their home to pastors and the pastor who married us, they, he, they opened their home to him when he was here in town for a weekender. Um, just how God used them all the way over in Hawaii to be a witness to Stan, who was then sent here and who's now a member here with us in Delray. I mean, it just reads like something that we read in, 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 the, in the New Testament. And may God do that more and more through the, the, the families here in the church and through the singles, that the Lord would use us, that we would, we would depict uh, the love of Christ. So as we wrap up here, just thinking about marriage and its purpose. So marriage is God's doing for his glory. That's how John Piper puts it in this book. If you weren't here at the beginning, I recommend this book. Uh, if you haven't read it, it's, um, I'm reading it, This Momentary Marriage by John Piper, a great book. Uh, very good. If you're single, it's a great book. He talks to singles in there. If you're married or planning to get married or just want to know more about marriage, really good book. But he, his main thing is that marriage is God's doing for his glory. It's temporary for this life, but it points to an eternal reality that will never end. So whether you're married in this life or single in this life, if you're in Christ, we will all together be married to Jesus forever. And that's a marriage that will never end. And we just praise God for that, for that blessing. And we look forward as we read, and I'll just wrap it up with this, in, in Revelation 19, verses 6 to 9. If you, have, if you have your Bibles, let's flip there. Revelation 19, 6 to 9. So earthly marriage is temporary. It doesn't exist uh, in glory because it points to a reality. It's only a shadow and a type, but the reality is Christ and his church. And we look forward to that day, that marriage supper of the Lamb. If somebody has Romans, or Revelation 19, 6 to 9, could you just read that? Then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters, like the rumbling of a loud thunder saying, Hallelujah, because of our Lord God, the Almighty let us be glad, rejoice, and give him glory. Because the marriage of the Lamb is come. His bride has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure. For the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, blessed are those invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. He also said to me, These words of God are Amen. Thanks, brother. So, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, repent of your sins, put your trust in him, and then you'll know that you will be part of that great supper. You will be part of the bride of Christ. And that's our prayer for all of us, whether we're young and whether we're old, that we would be there at that wedding supper of the Lamb to glorify him forever. We're at the end of time, but if there's a last question um, that anybody has, comment, anything Yes.
Yeah, that, I mean, that's a great, great question, a great comment, and, and yeah, I'd love to talk more ab about that process, but, but definitely, you're right, we do see in scripture that you're single, and then the next step is, is if, if you're going to get married, is, is, is courtship, and then, and then marriage, but the worldly view of sort of dating and just kind of sort of um, having relationships that isn't focused on, on ultimately marriage yeah, we don't, we don't see that in the Bible. Yeah, so I'd, I'd love to talk with you more about that, but yeah, definitely. All right, all right, let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you for your son, Jesus. God, thank you for sending him to be our savior. And Lord, we thank you for marriage. Lord, that you designed it, you instituted it, to point to the love that Jesus has for his bride, the church. And so, Father, we pray that all of us in this room, whether we're single or married, Lord, would first of all be part of Christ's body through repentance and faith. And that, Lord, the marriages here at Delray, Lord, would picture that love that Christ has for his church, that husbands and wives would take our, our cues from your word and that we would encourage and help, help one another. And, Father, we need your spirit. God, we pray that your spirit would, would help us to uh, keep the covenant that pictures that eternal covenant that Christ made with the church through his blood. We love you, Father. We thank you. We pray, Father, now as we go into your house that you would bless our brother John as he opens your word, that you bless the singing, the praying, the preaching. Father, you would lift our eyes to you, that we would glorify you, and we would... Uh, just be amazed at who you are and what you've done for us in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you all.